Hello everyone. Welcome. Today we're going to play capture the flag. So wear on your helmets and polish your swords. The conch hall horn has been blown. Let's start the game. <laughs> the next few days I settled into a routine that felt almost normal. If you don't count the fact that I was getting lessons from satyrs, nymphs and a centaur. Each morning I took ancient Greek from Anabet and we talked about gods and goddesses in the present tense which was kind of weird. I discovered Anabet was right about my dyslexia. Ancient Greek wasn't that hard for me to read. At least no harder than English. After a couple of mornings I could stumble through a few lines of Homer without much headache. The rest of the day I rotated through the outdoor activities looking for something I was good at. Chiron tried to teach me archery but we found out pretty quick that I wasn't any good with a bow and arrow. He didn't complain even though he had to de-snag a stray arrow out of his tail. Foot racing? No good either. The wood nymph instructors left me in the dust. They told me not to worry about it. They had centuries of practice running away from lovesick gods. But still, it was a little humiliating to be slower than a tree. And wrestling, forget it. Every time I got on the mat, Clarice would pulverize me. There's more where that came from, punk. She'd mumble in my ear. The only thing I really excelled at was canoeing, and that wasn't the kind of heroic skill people expected to see from the kid who had beaten the Minotaur. I knew the senior campers and the counselors were watching me, trying to decide who my dad was, but they weren't having an easy time of it. I wasn't as strong as the Ares kid or as good at archery as the Apollo kids. I didn't have Hephaestus's skill with metalwork or God's forbid Dionysus's way with vine plants. Luke told me I might be a child of Hermes, a kind of jack of all trades, master of none, but I got the feeling he was just trying to make me feel better. He didn't he really didn't know what to make of me either. Despite all that, I liked camp. I got used to the morning fog over the beach, the smell of hot strawberry fields in the afternoon, even the weird noises of monsters in the woods at night. I would eat dinner with Cabin 11, scrape part of my meal into the fire and try to feel some connection to my real dad. Nothing came, just that warm feeling I'd always had, like the memory of his smile. I tried not to think too much about my mom, but I kept wondering if gods and monsters were real, if all this magical stuff was possible, surely there was some way to save her to bring her back. I started to understand Luke's bitterness and how he seemed to resent his father Hermes. So, okay, maybe gods had important things to do, but they couldn't but couldn't they call like once in a while a thunder or something? Dionysus could make diet coke appear out of thin air. Why couldn't my dad, whoever he was, make a phone appear? Thursday afternoon, 3 days after I arrived at Camp Halfblood, I had my first sword fighting lesson. Everybody from Cabin 11 gathered in the big circular arena where Luke would be our instructor. We started with basic stabbing and slashing using some straw stuffed dummies in Greek armor. I guess I did okay. At least I understood what I was supposed to do and my reflexes were good. The problem was I couldn't find a blade that felt right in my hands. Either they were too heavy or too light or too long. Luke tried his best to fix me up, but he agreed that none of the practice blades seemed to work for me. 
We moved on to dwelling in pairs. Luke announced that he would be my partner since this was my first time. Good luck, said one of the campers. Luke's the best swordsman in the last 300 years. Maybe he'll go easy on me, I said. The campers snorted. Luke showed me the thrusts and parries and shield blocks the hard way. With every swipe, I got a little more battered and bruised. Keep your guard up, Percy, he'd say, and then whap me in the ribs with the flat of his blade. No, not that far. A whap. Lunge. Whap. Now back. Whap. By the time he called a break, I was soaked in sweat. Everybody swam the drinks cooler. Luke poured ice water on his head, which looked like a good idea. I did the same. Instantly, I felt better. Strength surged back into my arms. The sword didn't feel so awkward. Okay, everybody circle up. Luke ordered, if Percy doesn't mind, I want to give you a little demo. Great, I thought. Let's all watch Percy get pounded. The Hermes guy gathered around. They were suppressing smiles. I figured they'd been in my shoes before and couldn't wait to see how Luke used me for a punching bag. He told everybody he was going to demonstrate a disarming technique, how to twist the enemy's blade with the flat of your own sword so that he had no choice but to drop his weapon. This is difficult, he stressed. I've had it used against me. No laughing at Percy now. Most swordsmen have to work years to master this technique. He demonstrated the move on me in slow motion. Sure enough, the sword clattered out of my hand. Now, in real time, he said, after I'd retrieved my weapon. We keep sparring until one of us pulls it off. Ready, Percy? I nodded, and Luke came after me. Somehow, I kept him from getting a shot at the hilt of my sword. My senses opened up. I saw his attacks coming. I countered. I stepped forward and tried a thrust of my own. Luke deflected it easily, but I saw a change in his face. His eyes narrowed, and he started to press me with more force. The sword grew heavy in my hand. The balance wasn't right. I knew it was only a matter of seconds before Luke took me down, so I figured, what the heck? I tried the disarming maneuver. My blade hit the base of Luke's and I twisted, pulling my whole weight into a downward thrust. Clang. Luke's sword rattled against the stones. The tip of my blade was a couple of centimeters away from his undefended chest. The other campers were silent. I lowered my sword. Um, sorry? For a moment, Luke was too stunned to speak. Sorry? His scarred face broke into a grin. By the gods, Percy, why are you sorry? Show me that again. I didn't want to. The short burst of manic energy had completely abandoned me. But Luke insisted. This time there was no contest. The moment I was connected, Luke hit my hilt and sent my weapon skidding across the floor. After a long pause, somebody in the audience said, Beginner's luck? Luke wiped the sweat off his brow. He appraised me with an entirely new interest. Maybe, he said, but I wonder what Percy could do with a balanced sword. Friday afternoon, I was sitting with Grover at the lake, resting from a near-death experience on the climbing wall. Grover had scampered to the top like a mountain goat, but the lava had almost got me. My shirt had smoking holes in it. The hairs had been singed off my forearms. We sat on the pier, watching the knights do underwater basket weaving until I got up the nerve to ask Grover how his conversation had gone with Mr. D. His face turned a sickly shade of yellow. 
fine, just great. So, your career is still on track? He glanced at me nervously. Kyron t- told you I wanted a searcher's license? Well, no. I had no idea what a searcher's license was, but it didn't seem like the right time to ask. He just said you had big plans, you know, that you needed credit for completing a keeper's assignment, so did you get it? Grover looked down at his at the naiads. Mr. D suspended judgment. He said I hadn't failed or succeeded with you yet, so our fates were still tied together. If you got a quest and I went along to protect you and we both came back alive, then maybe he'd consider the job complete. My spirits left it. Well, that's not so bad, right? Blah! He might as well have transferred me to stable cleaning duty. The chances of you getting a quest? And even if you did, why would you want me along? Of course I'd want you along. Grover stared glumly into the water. Basket weaving. Must be nice to have a useful skill. I tried to reassure him that he had loads of talents, but that just made him look more miserable. We talked about canoeing and swordplay for a while, then debated the pros and cons of the different gods. Finally, I asked him about the four empty cabins. Number eight, the silver one belongs to Artemis, he said. She vowed to be a maiden forever, so of course, no kids. The cabin is, you know, honorary. She didn't have one, she'll be mad. Yeah, okay, but the other three, the ones at the end, are those the big three? Grover tensed. We were getting close to a touchy subject. No. One of them, number two, is Hera's, he said. That's another honorary thing. She's the goddess of marriage, so of course she wouldn't go around having affairs with mortals. That's her husband's job. When we say the big three, we mean the three powerful brothers, the sons of Kronos. Zeus, Poseidon, Hades. Right, you know. After the great battle with the Titans, they took over the world from the dad and drew lots to decide who got what. Zeus got the sky, I remembered. Poseidon the sea, Hades the underworld. Uh Uh-huh. But Hades doesn't have a cabin here. No, he doesn't have a throne on Olympus either. He does sort of does his own thing down in the underworld. If he did have a cabin here, Grover shuddered. Well, it wouldn't be pleasant. Let's leave it at that. But Zeus and Poseidon, they both had like a bazillion kids in the midst. Why are the cabins empty? Grover shifted his hoofs uncomfortably. About 60 years ago, after the World War II, the big three agreed they couldn't sire any more heroes. The children were just too powerful. They were affecting the course of the human events too much, causing too much carnage. World War II, you know, was basically a fight between the sons of Zeus and Poseidon on one side and the sons of Hades on the other. The winning side, Zeus and Poseidon, made Hades swear an oath with them. No more affairs with mortal women. They all swore on the river Styx. Thunder boomed. I said, that's the most serious oath you can make. Grover nodded. And the, bro- and the brothers kept their word. No kids? Grover's face darkened. Seventeen years ago, Zeus fell out of the wagon. There was this TV starlet... A starlet with a big fluffy 80s hairdo, he couldn't just help himself. 
When the child was born, a little girl named Thalia, where, well, the river sticks is serious about promises. Zeus got himself off easy because he's immoral, but he brought a terrible fate on his daughter. But, but that isn't fair. It wasn't the little girl's fault. Grover hesitated. Percy, children of the big three have powers greater than the half-bloods. They have a strong aura, a scent that attracts monsters. When Hades found out about the girl, he wasn't too happy about Zeus breaking his oath. Hades led the worst mound monsters out of Tartarus to torment Thalia. A satyr was assigned to be her keeper when she was twelve, but there was nothing he could do. He tried to escort her here with a couple of other half-bloods she'd befriended. They almost made it. They got all the way out to the top of that hill. He pointed across the valley to the pine tree where I'd fought the minotaur. All three kindly ones were after them, along with a horde of hellhounds. They were about to be overrun when Thalia told her satyr to take the other two half-bloods to safety while she held up the monster. She was wounded and tired, but she didn't want to live like a hunted animal. The satyr didn't want to leave her, but he couldn't change her mind and he had to protect the others. So Thalia made her final stand alone at the top of that hill. As she, as she died, Zeus took pity on her. He turned her into that pine tree. Her spirit still helps protect the borders of the valley. That's why the hill is called Half-Blood Hill. I stared at the pine in the distance. The story made me feel hollow and guilty too. A girl my age had sacrificed herself to save her friends. She had faced a whole army of monsters. Next to that, my victory over the Minotaur didn't seem like much. I wondered if I'd acted differently, could I have saved my mother? Grover, I said, have heroes really gone on quests to the underworld? Sometimes, he said, Orpheus, Hercules, Houdini. And they have ever returned somebody from the dead? No, never. Orpheus came close. Percy, you're not seriously thinking. No, I lied. I was just wondering, so a satyr is always assigned to guard a demigod? Grover studied me warily. I hadn't persuaded him that I'd really drop the underworld idea. Not always. We go undercover to a lot of schools. We try to sniff out the half-bloods who have the makings of great heroes. If we find one with a very strong aura like a, like a child of the big three, we alert Chiron. He tries to keep an eye on them since they could really cause huge problems. And you found me. Chiron said you thought I might be something special. Grover looked as if I'd just let him into a trap. I didn't. Oh, listen, don't you ever think like that. If you were, you know, you'd never ever be allowed a quest. And I'd never ever be able to get my license. You're probably a child of Hermes. Or maybe even one of the minor gods, like Nemesis, the god of revenge. Don't worry, okay? I got the idea he was reassuring himself more than me. That night after dinner, there was a lot of excitement than usual. At last, it was time for Capture the Flag. When the plates were cleared away, the conch horn sounded and we all stood at our tables. Campers yelled and cheered as Annabeth and two of her siblings ran into the pavilion carrying a silk banner. It was about three meters long, glistening gray, with a painting of a barn owl above an olive tree. 
From the opposite side of the pavilion, Clarice and her buddies ran in with another banner of identical size but gaudy red, painted with a bloody spear and a boar's head. I turned to Luke and yelled over the noise. Those are the flags? Yeah, Ares and Athena always leads the teams. Not always, but often. So if another cabin captures one, what do you do, repaint the flag? He grinned. You'll see. First, we have to get one. Whose side are we on? He gave me a sly look as if he knew something I didn't. The scar on his face made him look almost evil in the torchlight. We've made a temporary alliance with Athena. Tonight we get the flag from Ares and you are going to help. The teams were announced. Athena had made an alliance with Apollo and Hermes, the two biggest cabins. Apparently, privileges had been traded, share times, chore schedules, and best slots for activities in order to win support. Ares had allied themselves with everybody else, Dionysus, Demeter, Aphrodite, and Hephaestus. From what I'd seen, Dionysus' kids were actually good athletes, but there were only two of them. Demeter's kids had the edge with nature skills and outdoor stuff, but they weren't very aggressive. Aphrodite's sons and daughters, I wasn't too worried about. They mostly sat out every activity and checked their reflections in the lake and did their hair and gossiped. Hephaestus's kids weren't pretty, but there were only four of them, but they were big and burly from working in the metal shop all day. They might be a problem. That, and of course, left Ares Cape in a dozen of the biggest, ugliest, meanest kids on the Long Island or anywhere else on the planet. Chiron hammered his hoof on the marble. Heroes! He announced, you know the rules. The creek is the boundary line. The entire forest is fair game. All magic items are allowed. The banner must be prominently displayed and have no more than two guards. Prisoners may be disarmed, but they may not be bound or gapped. No killing or maiming is allowed. I will serve as referee and battlefield medic. Arm yourselves. He spread his hands and the tables were suddenly covered with equipment, helmets, bronze swords, spears, oxide shields coated in metal. Whoa, I said. We were really supposed to use these? Luke looked at me as if we were crazy. Unless you want to get skewered by your friends in Cabin 5. Here, Chiron thought these would fit. You'd, you'll be on border patrol. My shield was the size of an NBA blackboard with a big caduceus in the middle. It weighed about a million pounds. I could have snowboarded on it fine, but I hope nobody seriously expected me to run fast. My helmet, like all the helmets on the Athena side, had a blue horsehair plume on top. Ares and their allies had red plumes. Annabeth yelled, Blue team, forward! We cheered and shook our swords and followed her down the path to the southwards. The red team yelled taunts at us as they headed out towards the north. I managed to catch up with Annabeth without tripping over my equipment. Hey! She kept marching. So, what's the plan? I asked. Got any magic items you can loan me? Her hands drifted towards her pocket as if she were afraid I'd stolen something. Just watch Clarissa's spear, she said. You don't want that thing touching you. Otherwise, don't worry. Uh, we'll take the banner from Ares. Has Lou given you your job? Border patrol, whatever that means. It's easy. Stand by the creek, keep the reds away, leave the rest to me. Athena always has a plan. She pushed ahead, leaving me in the dust. 
Okay, I mumbled. Glad you wanted me on your team. It was a warm, sticky night. The woods were dark, with firefires popping in and out of view. Annabeth stationed me next to a little creek that gurgled over some rocks. Then she and the rest of the team scattered into the trees. Standing there alone with my blue, big blue feathered helmet and my huge shield, I felt like an idiot. The bronze sword, like all the other swords I tried so far, seemed balanced wrong. The leather grip pulled on my hand like a bowling ball. There was no way anybody could actually attack me, would they? I mean, Olympus have to have liability issues, right? <laughs> this is funny. Far away, the conch horn blew. I heard whoops and yells in the woods, the clanking of metal kids fighting. A blue-plumed ally from Apollo raced past me like a deer, leaped through the creek and disappeared into enemy territory. Great, I thought. I'll miss the fun, as usual. Then I heard a sound that sent a chill up my spine, a low canine growl somewhere close by. I raised my shield instinctively. I had a feeling something was stalking me. Then the growling stopped. I felt the presence retreating. On the other side of the creek, the underbush exploded. Five Ares warriors came yelling and screaming out of the dark. Cream the punk! Clarice screamed. Her ugly pig eyes glared through the slits of her helmet. She brandished a two-meter spear at its barbed metal tip flickering with red light. Her siblings had only the standard-issue bronze swords, not that made me feel any better. They charged across the stream. There was no help in sight. I could run, or maybe I could defend myself against half the Ares' cabin. I managed to sidestep the first kid's swing, but these guys were not as stupid as the Minotaurs. They surrounded me, and Clarice thrust me with a spear. My shield deflected the point, but I felt a painful tingling all over my body. My hair stood on end. My shield arm went numb, and the air burned. Electricity. A stupid spear was electric. I fell back. Another Ares guy slammed me in the chest with the butt of his sword and I hit the dirt. They could have kicked me into jelly, but they were too busy laughing. Give him a haircut, Clarice said. Grab his hair. I managed to get to my feet. I raised my sword, but Clarice slammed it aside with a spear as sparks flew. Now both my arms went numb. Oh, wow, Clarice said. I'm really scared of this guy. Like, really scared. The flag is that way. I told her I wanted to sound angry, but I wasn't, and it didn't come out that way. Yeah, one of her siblings said. But see, we don't care about the flag. We care about a guy who made our cabin look stupid. You do that without any help, I told them. It probably wasn't the smartest thing to say. Two of them came at me. I backed up towards the creek, tried to raise my shield, but Clarice was too fast. Her spear struck me straight in the ribs. If I hadn't been wearing an armored breastplate, I would have been shish kebabbed. As it was, the electric point just about shocked the teeth out of my mouth. One of her cabin mates slashed his sword across my arm, leaving a good-sized cut. Seeing my own blood made me dizzy, warm, and cold at the same time. No maiming, I managed to say. Oops, the guy said, guess I lost my desert privilege. He pushed me into the creek and I landed with a splash. They all laughed. I figured as soon as they were, though through being amused, I would die. But then something happened. 
The water seemed to wake up my senses, as if I just had a bag of my mum's double espresso, espresso jelly beans. Clarice and her cabin mates came into the creek to get me, but I stood to meet them. I knew what to do. I swung the flat of my sword against the first guy's head and knocked his helmet clean off. I hit him so hard, I could see his eyes vibrating as he crumpled into the water. Ugly number two and ugly number three <laughs> came at me. I slammed one in the face with my shield and used my sword to shear off the other guy's horsehair plume. Both of them backed up quick. Ugly number four didn't look really anxious to attack, but Clarice kept, kept coming, the point of a spear crackling with energy. As soon as she thrust, I caught the shaft between the edge of my shield and my sword, and I snapped it like a twig. Ah, oh, you idiot! You corpse breath worm! She probably would have said worse, but I smacked her between the eyes with my sword butt, and I sent her stumbling backwards out of the creek. Then I heard yelling, elated screams, but I and I saw Luke racing towards the boundary line with the red team's banner lifted high. He was flanked by a couple of Hermes guy covering his retreat and a few Apollos behind him fighting off the Hephaestus kids. The Ares folks got up and Clarice muttered a dazed curse. A trick! She shouted. It was a trick! They staggered after Luke, but it was too late. Everybody converged on the creek as Luke ran across into the friendly territory. A side exploded into cheers. The red banner shimmered and turned to silver. The boar and spear were replaced by a huge caduceus, the symbol of Cabin 11. Everybody on the blue team picked up Luke and started carrying him around on their shoulders. Chiron cantered out of the woods and blew the conch horn. The game was over. We'd won. I was about to join the celeb celebration when Annabeth's voice right next to me in the creek said, Not bad, hero. I looked, but she wasn't there. What the heck did you learn to fight like that? She asked. The air simmered and she materialized, holding a Yankees baseball cast as if, as if she had just taken it off her head. I felt myself getting angry. I wasn't even faced by the fact that she'd been invisible. You set me up, I said. You put me here because you knew Clarice would come after me. While you sent Luke around the flank, you had it all figured out. Annabeth shrugged. I told you Athena always, always has a plan. A plan to get me pulverized. I came as fast as I could. I was about to jump in, but she shrugged. You didn't need help. Then she noticed my wounded arm. How did you do that? Sword cut, I said. What do you think? No, it was a sword cut. Look at it. The blood was gone where the huge cut had been and there was a long white scratch and even that was fading. As I watched, it turned into a small scar and disappeared. I, I, I don't get it, I said. Annabeth was thinking hard. I could almost see the gears turning. She looked down at my feet and then at Clarissa's broken spear and said, Step out of the water, Percy. What? Just do it. I came out of the creek and immediately felt bone tired. My arms started to go numb again. My adrenaline rush left me. I almost fell over, but Annabeth steadied me. Oh, sticks. She goes, this, this is not good. I didn't want... I assumed it would be Zeus. 
Before I could ask what she meant, I heard that canine growl again, but much closer than before. A howl ripped through the forest. The campus cheering died instantly. Chiron shouted something in ancient Greek, which I would realize only later I had understood perfectly. Stand ready, my bow! Annabeth drew her sword. There on the rocks, just above us, was a black hound the size of a rhino, with lava red eyes and fangs like daggers. It was looking straight at me. Nobody moved except Annabeth, who yelled, Percy, run! She tried to step in front of me, but the hound was too fast. It leaped over her an enormous shadow with teeth, and just as it hit me, I stumbled backwards, and I felt its razor-sharp claws ripping through my armor, and there was a cascade of thwacking sounds, like 40 pieces of paper being ripped one after the other. From the hound's neck sprouted a cluster of arrows. The monster fell dead at my feet. By some miracle, I was still alive. I didn't want to look underneath the ruins of my shredded armor. My chest felt warm and wet and I knew I was badly cut. Another second and the monster would have turned me into 50 kilograms of delicacy meat. Chiron trotted up next to us. A bow in his hand, his face grim. De Mataless, Annabeth said. That's a hellhound from the fields of punishment. They don't. They're not supposed to. Someone summoned it, Chiron said someone inside the camp. Luke came over, the banner in his hand forgotten, his moment of glory gone. Clarice yelled, It's all Percy's fault! Percy summoned it! Be quiet, child, Chiron told her. We watched the body of the hellhound melt into the shadow, soaking into the ground until it disappeared. You're wounded, Annabeth told me. Quick, Percy, get in the water. I'm okay. No, you're not, she said. Chiron, watch this. I was too tired to argue. I stepped back into the creek. The whole camp gathered around me. Instantly, I felt better. I could feel the cuts on my chest closing up. Some of the campers gasped. Look, I, I don't know why. I tried. I said trying to apologize. I'm sorry. But they weren't watching my wounds heal. They were staring at something above my head. Percy? Annabeth said, pointing. Um, by the time I looked up, the sign was already fading, but I could still make out the hologram of a green light, spinning and gleaming, a three-tipped spear, a trident. Your father, Annabeth murmured, this is really not good. It is detriment, Chiron announced. All around me, campers started kneeling, even the Aries came in, though they didn't look too happy about it. My father? I asked, completely bewildered. Poseidon, Chiron said. Earthshaker, Stormbringer, father of horses. Hail Perseus Jackson, son of the sea god. Well, we completed it. Well, Percy, the son of Poseidon, well, we already knew it, but it feels good that he finally knows that he finally knows who his dad is. He knows his lineage. Well, amazing. This is my favorite chapter in this book, actually. So, next chapter, Percy is offered a quest. Yes, he is. So... Who do you think will go along with him? Let's see. Tune in next Sunday. Bye-bye.